you and I thus shouldn't be just haphazard or unintentional in our usage of the funds that God has given us, but at least in mind have some direction, some vision as to how we intend and wish for those monies to be used. We might in fact ask questions like this. We understand that the contribution will be taken in a few moments. Have you and I set aside that money, ensuring it's available and ready to provide it to God? Having made plans for that perhaps a few days ago, at least with thoughts in mind, it would be ready to set it aside. We can extend that thinking to some other walks of life, again, as those duties in life arise. What about the paying of the bills like a mortgage? Have we set aside that money? to make sure our family's taken care of so that they have this warm house, a pleasant place to dwell and to live. You see, if we just do things haphazardly without thought, spend this money here and that money there, then suddenly Sunday comes and we haven't any left to give to God. Or that time of the month comes when the electric bill's here and we haven't made any allowance for it and suddenly we're not able to pay it. Or that time of the month is able to arrive when in fact some other payment like a car payment is due or a credit card bill. Solomon encourages us the thoughts of the diligent tend to plenteousness. Have we thought ahead? Do we have at least a vision, a plan in mind to be aware of when those expenses arise? One of the things that we can be encouraged by there is the example of the collection. In 1 Corinthians 16 verses 1 and 2, We notice that on that occasion Paul said, Lay by in stores, God hath prospered him, that there be no gatherings when I come. Did you notice he said lay by? There was to be a laying by in store, in essence into a treasury arrangement, so that when Paul did arrive, that money, that resource would be available. We notice in 2 Corinthians chapters 8 and 9, the description that takes that to a higher degree is noted For there, that money is to be prepared and ready. You and I can take a similar good approach to our own personal family finances. To have a plan in mind so that things aren't done unintentionally or haphazardly. But rather, the things will be organized in a way that our expenses can be met. And we can live without the worry and the difficulties of interest, in fact, and finance charges tearing us and taking so much of that money for things that are in fact empty. In the fourth place, another lesson taken from the Proverbs. It is to be noted from Proverbs 28, 22, that money is a tool. It is thus something that God intends for us to use. Money is not an end in itself. It is to be utilized to bring about that which God has authorized and approved, and that which He would shed His glorious light upon. Isn't it interesting as you look at that sorrowful state of stinginess? Think about the picture of those who are known for their stinginess. They collect money, they hoard it up, they desire not to use it. The money to them is an end in itself. And it is not as if they're saving it for some use later. They just don't want to use it. That seems so far removed from the description of how money is to be viewed from the Word of God. Money is a tool to be used to in fact bring into one's life and to bring the glory to God as would be appropriate. 
with the various possessions and expenditures that we have the privilege to make. Isn't it interesting to look at a few of these passages that remind us about the danger of loving money too much? In 1 Timothy 6, verses 9 and 10, we see a rather sobering description. In fact, verse 10 reads it in this way, For the love of money is the root of all evil, which while some coveteth after they have erred from the faith and pierced themselves through with many sorrows. Let's unpack at least a part of that verse. Those who have coveted money have erred from the faith. To thus have that covetous desire to accumulate and to accumulate and to accumulate and to have one's love and value and priority placed in that money is to err from the faith. And of course, Paul finishes by saying, they have pierced themselves through with many sorrows. You'll notice in the previous verse, damnation was associated with this state of affairs. It thus calls all of us to realize we are privileged by God to work and to have occupation and to thus have the monies to spend on things. But we, may we never allow ourselves to become so stingy and to the point that we hoard that money and look upon it as our God and it as providing the worth of your being and mine. You and I should each be readily able to say, whatever that bank account says, that's not my worth and yours. You and I are immortal spirits. If we don't value ourselves any more than that bank account, we are in a sorrowful state indeed. For in fact, we read in Luke 12 verse 15, A man's life consisteth not in the abundance of the things which he possesseth. Whatever that bank account says, or whatever your car allowance and value may be, whatever your house payment and value may be, those are valuable blessings. But your worth is far more than that, and so is mine. For you see, there's a life after this one. And we wish more than anything else to be ready at that day of judgment. And may we never allow that money to stand between us and heaven, for it can do it. If we love that money more than we love God... That money is to us our God, and we have erred from the faith. We are those who are in the line for damnation. 1 Timothy 6, verse 9. The love of money, again, is the root of all evil. Now may we quickly note what he does not say in that verse. He does not say that money is the root of all evil. He says it's the love of money. God, in fact, has blessed many throughout the centuries with a fair amount of wealth. Solomon was one of them. We could list in that same list men like Noah and Abraham and Joseph and Jacob and Isaac. All of them were wealthy men. But Abraham was the father of the faithful. And Joseph was that special one who was raised by God to deliver his own people. As we learn in Genesis chapters 43 through 45. It is thus not sinful in and of itself to be rich. But how do we use that money? And how do we look upon it? How do we, in fact, perceive it in relation to our devotion to God? Those are the better questions. In light of those things on our list today, what about a fifth lesson? As we look also at this one, we learn something rather interesting from a terse statement in Proverbs 14, verse 4. One more time, as money is therein discussed, it's phrased from the perspective of possessions on that occasion. And it reads like this, Where no oxen are, the crib is clean. 
self-evidently, that's a true statement. If you have no ox, then the crib is going to stay clean. There's no animal in there to dirty it. There's no animal, in fact, that one needs to feed. But the verse ends by saying that there is much strength where there's the ox. Isn't it interesting that you and I can see the application of that so often in our lives, can't we? And I phrase that under the heading of investment. You and I may well realize, perhaps as a younger person or even one who is a bit older, that there is a need in life you may wish to accomplish. You may want a better house for yourself and family. It's going to take some investment on your part to make that a reality. It won't just drop into your hands out of heaven. It'll take an investment perhaps in work. Maybe as a person who works at a business, you have an idea that could greatly improve that business. It may well take some investment financially. Where no oxen are, the crib will stay clean. But there's much strength in the ox. To that farmer, you may realize that if you had a tractor, so much more could be accomplished, but it will take investment in order to have a tractor. How does that help us appreciate our finances? When you and I have those ideals in life that we may wish good things for ourselves and family, we may need to realize it's going to take some investment. Oh, it's true, we can in fact never make the investment, but we'll never have the blessing either. We may need to realize the investment is going to be worthwhile. And it may lead to the finality of a good blessing for ourselves and family, perhaps a far greater blessing than what the investment will entail. Thus, doesn't it require vision? Doesn't it require a viewpoint toward careful deliberation of our finances and where they may take us? As you give thought to that one, it does relate a bit to this next lesson, which is a rather critical one, it seems, for our current walk of life in America. We've just stated how that God does not condemn investing. That is, spending your money, perhaps with the idea of borrowing, so that perhaps good can come therefrom. But might we ask about borrowing too much? We currently in America are in a debt crisis. We each hear it on the news. The radio programs speak of how that the average American, the average American, has a debt now in credit cards approaching $10,000. If that's the average, perhaps many of us have less than that, that must mean there are some people carrying twenty, twenty-five, thirty thousand dollars $30,000 in credit card debt. At that rate, they seemingly will never be able to make all the monthly finance charges to eventually pay that off. And even if they do, by the time they end up paying it, they've probably paid double for the item they originally bought simply by all the finance charges. Might we in fact state it in words like this? Bring it down to common levels of monetary exchange. Suppose I have a dollar in my hand. And suppose, in fact, I were to state to some person who is a friend of mine, I will, in fact, give you this dollar if you'll give me 75 cents. Now, I would be rather foolish to make that arrangement too many times. For that person is gaining an additional 25 cents for everything that he's giving to me. You can well imagine if I do that a hundred times what I've done. What if I do that a thousand times? 10,000 times. I have gone greatly into a far lesser amount of money than what I had. 
That's exactly what finance charges on credit cards are. When you and I thus accumulate great amount of money and we don't pay those bills off and we month by month just make that minimum payment, we will end up paying several times what originally the cost of the item was. That's not a wise expenditure of our money. You'll notice as we look at this verse like Proverbs 22 verse 7, it there states to us that the borrower is servant to the lender. So when you and I borrow money, we appreciate the fact that we are in a position of being servant to that one from whom we've borrowed. Whether that be the bank, whether it be a good friend, whether it be some kind of credit card agency. And that helps us appreciate we wish not to be the servant to that entity any more than we have to. We need to be wiser users of our money. When we get those bills, we should pay them off as quickly as we can so that the finance charges do not rob us and cause us to spend the money so unwisely, so emptily and unproductively. You'll notice as you look at Romans 13 verse 7 and Proverbs 22 verse 26, these items are also mentioned again. In the Proverbs 22 26 case, we are warned against putting up things for collateral that are done unwisely. When you and I enter into a debt arrangement and we put up something of such great value as the collateral, what if times turn bad? What if, in fact, sickness or illness comes? Would it cause me to lose my family home? Would it cause me to lose something so dire in need for the well-being of my wife or my children? We should think twice before we put up something as valuable as that without any careful thought about how quickly that can be paid off. In Romans 13, verses 7 and 8, when Paul addressed the matter of borrowing and lending, he, in a spiritual way, put it in language like this, Owe no man anything but to love one another. Paul did not teach there it's a sin to borrow any money at all. The context teaches us that he is there speaking about, first and foremost, the spiritual arrangement, understanding that we ultimately owe everything to God. In the way that we transact business here on earth, that means, again, we should be very quick to pay off our debts as quickly as we can so that we aren't held in servitude to that one who lent us that money. Perhaps you'll notice as we come near to the closing part of that slide, it takes us to our final lesson for the day and our final lesson for this series in which we've looked at some careful ways to help us be better stewards of our monies. Seventhly, this was the lesson text this morning that Brother Colonel read a moment ago from Proverbs 13 verse 22. A good man leaveth an inheritance to his children's children. As we wish to be careful stewards of our money, careful stewards of our finances, isn't it interesting that Solomon says a good man will in fact leave an inheritance to his children's children. May I suggest to you that rolled up in that idea is a number of rather interesting thoughts. Any father and mother, I'm persuaded, would desire good things for their children. They want them to live comfortably, they want them to have plenty of food and they wish them to have a good roof over their head. 
But any parent, I think, would also desire from a verse like that one to be able to share good things with their children. Maybe going on a vacation. Perhaps some fond lifetime memories will come as you're able with the wealth that God has given you to take your children on a vacation. Thus, it isn't at all inappropriate for a family, a husband and wife, to set aside money to take themselves on a vacation with their children or to enjoy some of the great blessings of life that are to be found on this planet. But you'll notice in particular here he mentions an inheritance. Is it wrong to leave some money to your children when you pass away or to have in a will some money for them? Not at all. Is it wrong to in fact leave some to your grandchildren? Not at all. Notice that's not required that one do that. It may be that a husband and wife in the usage of their monies, they have provided in a lifetime for them so that when they pass away, there isn't a lot left to share with them. That's fine. But may we each give careful thought to our families, our love for them and how we're using our money for their benefit so that they first and foremost can know God better. There are other passages in Proverbs that speak that the greatest blessing that a husband and wife can leave their children is a knowledge of this book, an appreciation of the church. Are they faithful members of the kingdom of God? If that has been bequeathed to them, that's by far the greatest blessing that could ever have been left. Far more than a sizable money amount, far more than a car, far more than a piece of land. The greatest thing would be an understanding of the greatness of the Word of God and how that for generations that may impact many in that family to live for God. Have you and I known individuals who perhaps had children and grandchildren and great-grandchildren and perhaps generations thereafter who had a reputation for being sound and solid and wholesome people, knowledgeable of the Word of God and faithful to it? Maybe because of the original faith exemplified in generations past. May you and I and our families be somewhat like that. And if that involves us leaving them some finances, so be it. May I suggest as we've looked at all of these lessons, all three of them, we've looked at now a total of 19 lessons as we've looked at lessons 1, 2, and 3. In all of them, we've learned some of the things perhaps like this. We've seen how important financial matters are. When finances in our families are appropriated rightly, it can take so much stress and anxiety away from us. But when we haven't been dutiful stewards of it, it can bring such stress and anxiety. When we're frantically trying to work enough to make the payments, we would do much better to consider some of these lessons to help guide our thinking. And the lessons of today have been these. May we, be, may we be careful of our friends and how we just so freely might be tempted to give them monies when all the while they may merely be using us. May we not use our money to follow things that are empty and vain, but to be wise and noble as we spend that money. In the third place, we learned it's important to have a plan to at least set aside the thought in mind to prepare for those expenditures that are major in nature and that are so important to our lives. In the fourth place, we noticed how that money is a tool, not an end in and of itself. In the fifth place, how important it is to realize from time to time the need to make investments, but not to extend ourselves too much by borrowing more than what we can reasonably pay off. 
And then finally, to understand how important it is to have careful thought for ourselves and families. And if that involves leaving an inheritance financially, that, that's a fine thing. But in any and all of these today, may we revisit the very first lesson we discussed in all of the series. This funding is God's to start with. Do you and I honor God by the money that we have? by the jobs that He allows us to participate in? Do we honor Him with that money? Or do we keep it from Him and use it for other things? Today, if you've been pricked in your heart with a need to change some things in your financial budgeting, in some ways that you have lived your life to that account, if we could pray upon your behalf today, on your behalf, for forgiveness of a sin that's been public, we'd be happy to do that. If you have never begun, though, your walk with Jesus... You have to this point completely withheld all things from Him, including the nature of who's sitting on the throne of your heart. Realize that you can't be saved in that state. If you've reached that age of knowing wrong from right, but you have never submitted and relinquished to the Savior, you're in a position of being lost, spiritually lost. You're currently walking in the dark. Won't you come to the light today? Won't you realize that Jesus said, I am the light of life. He that followeth me shall not walk in darkness, but shall have the light of life, John 8, verse 12. If you'd like to start walking in the light today, the gospel call of invitation initially is placed in words like these. You need to believe with all your heart that Jesus is the Son of God. Repent of the sins in your life. Confess His name as the Son of God and be baptized. If we could assist you in that, Brother Randall is going to direct us in a song of invitation. And if you would like that to be accomplished in your life, we'd be happy to assist you in your baptism. The water's warm. There would be a host of individuals here that would celebrate with you today. If we could help you in that way, won't you let that be known while together we stand and while we sing.